Welcome to the Ottawa University Chi Alpha Podcast. And all of those things. Uh, don't forget about the bonfire October 15th. It is October 15th that that bonfire is going to take place. That's going to be at our house. Um, so we're excited to see you there. But this is the thesis statement, if you will, for this series. Is this right here? It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Now, some of you are already feeling a little uncomfortable. You're like, what does he mean by emotionally insecure? Or not insecure, <laughs> immature. Now, if you had that thought, you, that's you. And, and we're going to have a conversation tonight, and that's okay. Uh, but we've all been here, and we all will be here at some point in time. Okay, Even the most emotionally mature person, or unless you like grew up in one of those houses, the emotionally mature uh, persons, you will come up against something in your life that's going to make it feel like your life is crumbling. It's going to happen. But we're going to take a look at some things. But first is this, Romans 12, 2. This is kind of the verse that also is the thesis statement for this series. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to help us all out our natural state of thinking, our natural state of dealing with emotions is not correct. It just isn't. It's not, it's not healthy. That's our natural lean. That's where we naturally go as human beings. It's because of the fall, but whatever. But this is why in the book of Romans, Paul writes, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I do want to be very careful. This whole series is not about not showing emotion. That's not what this is about. Your emotions are something that is God-given. And there are lists of scriptures about God showing emotion. And their lists are so long that's as much as I'm going to tell you about it because it's so long. And if we got through all of them and went through all of them, be like, oh my goodness, it's definitely been longer than an hour. Chi Alpha should have been over forever ago. And then it'll be next Wednesday. We'll continue. But this is, this is kind of a, a litmus test, if you will, to find out if you are emotionally immature or not. Now, this is not a derogatory thing. If you're read, if, as I'm talking through this slide and you're like, oh, that's me. This is not me. This is absolutely not me going shame on you. Okay? It's not. This is not a shame thing. This is not a guilt thing. This is for us to step back and go, whoa. Because some areas of your life, some areas of your life, you may be emotionally healthy. But other areas, you may be emotionally immature. And this is what it looks like. Our feelings blur our faith and manipulate facts. If your feelings is the lens at which you look at your faith. Now, you can, this is a lot easier to do to look at, at the world, if you will. Get rid of this idea of faith just for a moment. And if we walk outside of Chi Alpha, we get outside of maybe our Christian circles or whatever, or you get outside of a Christian circle, maybe it's easy to see feelings ma manipulating facts. This happens all the time. It's funny to me that 
I planned on preaching this, and over the last week, I've had three different conversations with three different students about this. Which actually is wonderful because it was already rattling around in my brain, and so it was easy to go, hey, this is what's happening. Our feelings, the way we feel about something, is manipulating the facts about something. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you say, yes, I am a son or a daughter of Christ, then feelings oftentimes blur our faith. Now, we can go back in church history and we can see this all over the place. Well, I feel like, we're going to go way back, but I feel like Jerusalem should be controlled by Christian people. And the church needs money. So I have an idea. Let's build an army and go slaughter everybody in Jerusalem. And make it a Christian city once again. Huzzah. And that's the first crusades. And then there's like, I don't know, seven or eight. I don't know. I'm not a history guy when it comes to that kind of stuff. Now, but here's what's easy. We can go back and be like, yeah, the church was stupid there. That was a bad idea. Um, you, you want to know where this can take place also? Now, it's easy to look at, again, we're, we're looking outside of ourselves for a moment. Just look at the last two elections and your Facebook feed. Um, I, because feelings blurred our faith and manipulated the facts. That's an oof moment, because it should be. It's supposed to be an, oh, I'm uncomfortable now. Because you, you should be there. Because this is not emotionally healthy. But if I want to be spiritually healthy and spiritually mature, then I have to work on my emotional self as well because emotions are from God. God also, and Jesus, showed emotion, so it's okay to show emotion. However, if I'm emotionally healthy, it looks like this. Facts, then faith, and then feelings. So the facts provide the foundation for faith and hold authority over feelings. Now, some people may look at this and go, well, why shouldn't faith come before facts? No, it should not. It should not. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and the first sin. Feelings came first. And Satan then manipulated them in their faith. And then even though God told them the facts, if you eat from this tree, you will die. That was the fact. If in that moment, Eve goes, hang on, the fact is this. God said don't. That's the fact. That's not faith. That's easy. It's a don't. <laughs> God said don't. So God said don't. And if we do, we die. I'm good. I'm good, little weird serpent thing. Bye-bye. Now, that would have been a really weird way to read Genesis and have been over by then and be like, that was a cool story. And we'd all be running around naked and be really uncomfortable in here right now. Um, it's chilly outside. Anyway, but facts have to, have to provide the foundation for our faith. Because if they don't, then we take faith and we put it first, which isn't a bad thing, but then faith manipulates the facts that follow or that control our emotions. 
But if facts go first, this is why it's important to have facts first. Because if a fact, I know this is weird, but if a fact is actually a fact, a fact is unchanging, by the way. A fact cannot change. The earth is round. I don't know if you know that. The earth is round. You can't change the fact that the earth is round. I don't have to go to space to find out that the earth is round. I also don't have to go find a bird and open it up to know that birds are in fact real. There's a whole website dedicated to birds aren't real. It's hilarious. It's just funny. Conspiracy theories are just kind of funny. But I don't have to go away and outside of the planet to go, yep, the earth is round and not flat. I have yet, and maybe you have, maybe if you've heard this story, great, but I have yet to hear a story of a boat accidentally falling off the edge. I feel like that would be on Facebook. Like, you would get the highlights, the CNN highlights in your reels, and be like, oh, we want to stay away from the edge, because you fall off. That's a fact. I cannot change my faith to manipulate the fact. It has to be because the fact is the foundation. The fact is that God is real. If God is real, then that can control my faith. That's the lens at which I look at my faith. Now, if we're emotionally unhealthy, then yeah, we can turn that around and be like, nope, God's not real. Isn't this fun? Okay, so facts provide the foundation for faith and hold authority over our feelings. Now, five, six years ago, something like that, um, my dad almost died. It was Thanksgiving, and my dad had been in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Um, he couldn't, like, he couldn't think the amount of pain that was going on in his body. Um, I've never seen my dad in this kind of pain. Uh, he was finally able to come home, actually, on Thanksgiving Day. He hung out with us all Thanksgiving. He was starting to get a slight headache and did what he always does, and he took a couple of ibuprofen. Um, and then we had Thanksgiving dinner, and... I don't know, six, seven o'clock at night, my dad's sitting in a chair and all of a sudden makes these noises like, because he's in so much pain. We take him to the emergency room and they immediately, well, not quite immediately. There's no such thing as immediately in an emergency room um, unless like you're bleeding out. If you've ever been to an emergency room, what you're going through is only kind of an emergency. Um, <laughs> it, it is what it is. Unless your head's off. If your head's off, they'll probably do something about that. They'll probably figure that out pretty quickly. But um, we went to the emergency room, and my dad's in the bed. And I remember him taking his hands. And my dad's like, he's a thick dude. He does like 150 push-ups every morning. So he's just like, he's just kind of thick dude. And he's like pressing on his skull as hard as he can. And just going, because the pain is so bad. We couldn't figure out. Obviously, we knew he was sick, but we didn't know why he was sick and how to make him healthy again. Now, this, by the way, this is, a, this is not a funny story, but it is a funny story. The, the reason he had this such severe headache is, I kid you not, is because he's constipated. That's it. It almost killed him, though. Like, because in his old age, because of being in the Air Force and all these drugs that he had taken... Legal, by the way, okay, legal drugs. Um, he somehow developed a, um, 
goodness, an, an allergy to ibuprofen. And so every time he had a headache and he would keep taking ibuprofen, it was actually clogging him up, which is loads of fun. So they had to take him to Wichita and the doctor was like, when was the last time you pooped? <laughs> like we found out, I was like, that's it. Dad, you're full of crap. That's why you're sick. Um, <laughs> see what I did there? Okay, but he actually, he legitimately almost died. But oftentimes, okay, here on this planet, we can understand, we can kind of view and see who's healthy and who's sick. Sometimes people walk around, they don't know if they're sick or they think they're sick and they're actually healthy and vice versa. But we have to have this something, this foundation to figure out, are we healthy or are we sick? Now, yes, we just talked about, you know, are my feelings controlling my faith and manipulating the facts, or are the facts actually the lens at which I can view my faith and holding my feelings under the authority? But do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Now, college students, throughout my entire life, I have always heard of different people, especially your age, in their late teens, early 20s, and they go off into the world to, maybe you've heard this phrase, I just need some time to find myself. Like if you have lost yourself, there's harder, there's deeper problems going on because you're right there. I can find you. You're right there. But you have this, I just, I just got to find myself. I just need to figure out who I am. Here's the thing, if the lens at which you look at yourself is incorrect, then you will never figure out who you are. The only way to find out who we are is to find out who we are in God. And without that lens, without that lens, it gets all discombobulated. I don't think I've ever used that word preaching, but it's a good word. It's a fun word. Don't ask me how to spell it. But do you know who you are, like actually who you are, not, okay, well, we got three things we're going to look at real quick, okay? After this, one of the greatest obstacles in knowing God is our own lack of self-knowledge. We're so worried about who we are, trying to figure out who we are, that we never even spend time on finding out who God is. First John 3, or First John 4, 1 through 3 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Okay, the stuff in yellow, that's not in the Bible. That's just me adding stuff. Not like adding stuff like inappropriately, just this is the lens of which I want you to, we're going to add stuff to scripture. No, okay, this is just the lens at which I want you to see. Okay, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every feeling that you have. Not every feeling you have has, should have the authority over your actions and the way you think. You probably know a person or you know a time where you've done this where the way you felt controlled the way you thought until the facts came up and you're like oh oops oops but test the spirits to see whether they are from god because many false prophets have gone out into the world this is how you reckon recognize the Spirit of God, every spirit that acknowledged Jesus, that Jesus Christ, fact, has come in flesh, is from God, faith. So the fact is that Jesus is God, and that, can, can, that 
is the lens at which we see our faith. But every spirit that is not um, that does not proclaim Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So every time, <laughs> this is fun, every time we allow our feelings to control our faith and to manipulate facts, we're acting like the Antichrist. All right, so which, <laughs> which, you've, which you have heard is coming and is even now is already here in the world. Okay, so ask that question again. Do you know who you are? And so we're going to look at three different temptations of how we sometimes look at ourselves. The first one is this, I am what I do. Hey, what's, what's the first question you almost always get asked by somebody you just meet on campus? Usually it's, well, at this campus, it's what sports you play. Uh, but most universities is, have you chosen a major? If so, what's your major? Oh, you're one of those people. Well, we can't be friends because math is of the devil. Um, but but <laughs> we know this. Math and cats, that's what God allowed Satan to make. Um, I am what I do. It's this idea that I am whatever it is I do. So I am a whatever major, and I am a whatever position in whatever sport. And that's who I am. That's the lens in which I see the world. It's what I do controls who I am. This is a temptation. So if this is a temptation, then what you do is not who you are. Here's how I know this is true, because eventually you will do something stupid. And you will have the choice to look at that stupid, sinful thing that you did. And you can look at yourself through that lens, or you can look at yourself through the lens that God sees you. See, they all agree out in the hallway, too. (laughs) I am what I have. Possessions. Maybe you've felt this way. Maybe you've seen people or been around people that are this way. When asked, who are you? Well, I'm the CEO and owner of this company. Or, <laughs> who are you? I own a Ferrari. Don't talk to me. I've never met that person. But if I do, I would just laugh so hard. Be like, all right, bro. Cool. Uh, but I am what I have. Everything I am... Everything my mind thinks that I am is wrapped up in the possessions that I have, in the things that I own, those three or four things that I have that may be physical or even emotional things that you have. It could be other people that you have. This becomes true especially later in life when you begin to have little people that look like you and act like you and talk like you. It's true. And then we try to find our identity almost in our title of what we are. And the third temptation is this, I am what others think about me. So all of this is based on what I do, what I say, what I wear, how I act. And you know This is you if, depending on who you're around, if you begin to act like that crowd and you change the way you act depending on the crowd you're with. This is you. Now, I've done this, so I'm not, this is not, shame on you! Smite thee. 
But this is a temptation. This is how we can also recognize if our spiritual and emotional maturity is high or really low. When you're around your church friends, your Chi Alpha friends, your Chi Alpha small group, whatever it may be, are you acting one way? And then when you're around your friends in your dorm room or your teammates, you're a complete different way. If that's you, you are emotionally unstable. This isn't a something that you're going to stay in, but this is something I hope to help you through. But we have to recognize, you have to recognize if you are healthy or sick. Sometimes in the physical, it requires a doctor to figure out what's wrong. And a lot of times in the spiritual, it takes a friend who loves God to be like, yo, the what's going on right now in your life isn't healthy and we need, we need to get help. We need to get you better. Now, this isn't judgment in the sense of how dare you, you idiot. How come you're not at the same level I am? Because it's not. I have yielded, yield, yielded. I put a T in yield. Um, but yielded to all three of these different things at one point in time in my life. You have to, or you will. But these are temptations that will continue to pop up because sometimes we think it's easier to be what I do, to be what I have, or to be what others think that I am. Matthew three sixteen through 17 says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, this is Jesus, by the way, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, awesome. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do you know who you are? Number one, this is my Son you are good. Just for a moment, this, this thing in Matthew that God says about Jesus, I'm going to ask you to superimpose it or whatever the right word is. It sounded good, so we're going to go with it. That God says about you. These are phrases God says about you. You are my son or daughter, which means this. You are good. In the eyes of God, you are good. You are valuable. In the eyes of God, you are good. God looks at you and says, that's good. That's good. In your present state, in a state you are currently in, God looks at you and says, you are good. Whom I love. Man, some of you don't understand this word. God is madly in love with each of you. In spite of your past your present, and your future. The Word of God says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
He already knew that you were going to do really stupid things. He already knew that you were going to do things that are sin that cause separation from us and him. He knew that ahead of time and died anyway. So when he looks at you, he can say, you are loved. If God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you are the world that he loved. So when God looks at you, he says, you are my son or daughter, so you are good. Whom I love, you're loved. You are not unlovable. You are loved. With him I am well pleased. This is a tough one because some of you don't actually believe this. It is good that you exist. I am excited I created you. I am excited you are walking on this planet. You are doing the things that you are doing. You are going to school. You're playing the sport, whatever it may be. I'm excited that you are who you are. He's excited that you are who he created you to be. You are loved. You are good. You are loved. And it is so good that you exist. This is God's, or these are God's words. Yes, they are God's words spoken directly to Jesus and directly over Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, these words are words that God is speaking over each one of you. You want to talk about emotional health. If we could start with this verse, and when you're wanting to, when you have those feelings that are rattling around in your heart or your head, and it's beginning to blur how you see faith, and it's manipulating facts. It's manipulating actual hard facts, not things that there's a little bit of evidence for, but facts. If I stop for a moment and go, hang on a second. I am a son of God. I'm good. Because God. I'm loved. Because God. And it is good that I exist because God said so. Now, this is not something to go into the cafeteria and be like, it is good that I exist, everybody. That's a little too far. You've taken it a step a little bit further uh, than you need to. So let's bring, bring it back in just a hair. But it is good that you exist. It is good that you exist. So even this week with midterms for most of your classes or finals for some of you crazy people that took the eight-week courses... And you're like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? You've already paid your tuition. Or you will. Mm -hmm. Oof. But God looks at you. God looks at each and every one of you. And he says, you are good. Because you are mine. You're loved because you're mine. It's good that you exist because you're mine. Going all the way back to Romans, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. If that's a thought that happens every day, write it on your mirror, write it on your phone. I don't know, have an alarm go off. Instead of dishonor on you, dishonor on your cow, dishonor on your family, don't put that in there. But I am loved, 
I am a son or daughter of God, so I'm good. I, I am loved by God, and it is good that I exist because God said so. And if I need reminder of that, I'm going to go back to Matthew 3.17 and read the words that God speaks over Jesus, but I'm telling you, He speaks those over you as well. If we can begin to shift our mind and look at even our emotions, emotions through that lens, when you cry, cry. When you rejoice, rejoice. When you're somewhere in between, I don't know, be somewhere in between. But the lens has to be the facts. The facts are this. You're good, you're loved, and it's good that you exist. If those facts change, then your emotional health is not good. You're sick. And we need you to poop those bad thoughts out of your mind. All right? So you don't die from mental constipation. Emotionally constipated people. we got to stop it. (laughs) I love how that worked. That's great. (laughs) You are good. You are loved. And it is good that you exist. You are good. You are loved. And it is good that you exist. You are good. You are loved. And it's good that you exist. God speaks those words over you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, it is so easy. It is so easy to allow our emotions to control the way we think. God, in those moments of distress, in those moments of great stress, may we stop and look at life, look at the things going on around us through the lens that you call us good, that you see us and you say you are loved. And you are so excited that I exist. God, may we look at life through those lenses, instead of the lenses of stress, instead of the lenses of I'm not good enough, or I'm not worthy, or I'm not whatever it may be. God, I thank you for every student in this room tonight. I pray your blessing over them. May they continue to, even when they leave this room, to recognize that your presence is everywhere, that there is nowhere we can go to hide from you, to hide from your love or to hide from your presence. God, I thank you for you are a God who is loving and a God who is kind. We give you praise and in Jesus' name I pray, amen.